Y'all are right on it. Y'all are right on it. Um, if you are here for the very first time in front of you or in a chair, perhaps near you, you'll see one of these. If you can grab one of these, tear off this little bottom part and fill it out. The very end, the last song, we'll take up the offering. Uh, don't feel obligated to give. Just fill out that card as much information as you're comfortable with and drop it in our offering plate. We want to be able to uh, get some information to you about the church, all that you want. So uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. 1 through 10. Um, on your way in, perhaps you saw uh, that huge, massive wood cross there outside the door. Uh, and uh, you, there's some more flowers out there. If you want to, walk up there and put one in. Take some pictures in front of it. Uh, it's been moved away, away from the building just a little bit, but that's for you to take pictures of in front of, etc. And then if you want, take some of the flowers home with you as well. Um, there's no, there's no limit. So you can have as many of them as you want after we take the pictures. So uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, at Remedy, we want to stand if we can. Uh, if you're able, stand with us and let's read uh, verses 1 through 10. And then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Starting in uh, 28.1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Amen. And he said, come see the place where he lay. Then... Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and he... And took hold of his feet and worship him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that you've given to us. We pray that as we look at your word this morning, specifically the text on uh, the resurrection, that we would be overjoyed that you have defeated Satan, sin, and death, and that nothing keeps us from being fully acquitted. Nothing keeps us from being fully forgiven. You have declared us righteous and holy, those that are your children, not just because of the cross, but absolutely because of the resurrection. So uh, teach us this morning uh, to know you more, to understand the gospel more, and also, God, uh, cause our hearts to be filled with joy for what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so the the title of this series from Good Friday to Easter is called The Tree of Life. And of course, it comes from Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged 
on the tree. Christ Jesus hung on the tree, the cross for us, uh, thereby becoming the curse for us. We were cursed. And now, since he did that for us, it is the tree of life for us. The cross gives us life forever. And so uh, we want to look at the text here and see this great news of the resurrection uh, here in verse uh, 1 through 10. It says, now after the Sabbath, and of course the Sabbath was Saturday, uh, and we, we, we celebrate here, it says, on the dawn of the first day, which is why we from all Christian history for the last 2,000 years, gather on the dawn or the early Sunday mornings because we celebrate what happened on Sunday morning, what was discovered by the two Marys. And we also know Joanna was there and a lady named Salome from the other gospels, what they discovered that day when they walked up. Uh, But it says now after the Sabbath. And so that means um, if you were with us Good Friday or you know the story on Good Friday, after they had taken the body of Jesus off the cross, they cleaned him up, they put the linens on him and they put him into the tomb Uh, because they weren't allowed to touch dead bodies on Saturday, on the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to do anything. So they wanted to get it all done on Saturday and they weren't allowed to do do much work. And so you can imagine all day Saturday, they're wondering uh, what happened to Jesus. They cared about him very much. They they loved him. And so all day Saturday, they're wanting to know. And so as soon as daybreak happens, they're going straight back just to make sure nobody's messed with him, make sure everything's okay, make sure nothing's gone on. And so you can imagine uh, they're not going with joy. They're going with sorrow to the grave uh, because they, their friend, their, the one that they had, had followed, the, the one that had told them that he is the Messiah had been killed and that they didn't understand what's going on. And they're walking up to the grave, um, <clears throat> hewn into the stone there. And it says, and after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, it's just Matthew's recording. It doesn't mean that the others weren't there. We know from the other the Gospels that there were some other women. They all go uh, to see what's going on. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, this is the second recorded earthquake. We saw in Matthew 27 that there was an earthquake when Jesus uh, gave himself up when he died. And there's another one here. And this earthquake is likely the cause. We don't know if the angel coming caused the earthquake or if the angel came and he made the earthquake just happen. But nevertheless, the earthquake happened. And when it did, that's what uh, it says. For there was a great earthquake and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it. So they're going to see the tomb. There was a huge earthquake earthquake, the angel had descended down and he was sent to move the stone. Either the earthquake did it or the angel did it. Nevertheless, uh, the, the stone was moved and the, it was it moved so that the first witnesses could see that it was empty. Now, don't, don't think that Jesus was like pacing back and forth inside the tomb like God said it was supposed to be like any time now. Where's this door? Somebody open it up. Jesus could have blown the door off. Jesus wasn't in there. He was, already, he was already gone. He had already defeated Satan, sin, and death, and he was out. And so the stone being rolled is not to let Jesus out. It's to let the first witnesses in to see this thing's empty. This thing is completely empty. So it was moved out of the way, and you have the angel sitting there. And Spurgeon says this, The great stone repre- rolled away represents the sin of all Christ's people, which had been shut up in prison, and now it's rolled away, and it can never be laid again over the mouth of the grave of any child. So it, the open grave represents for us full acquittal. We're not trapped in our sin of prison anymore. It's opened up and we are fully acquitted. And as a matter of fact, the angel sitting, he Spurgeon goes on and says, when the angel had rolled back the stone from the door, he sat upon it as to defy earth and hell ever to roll it back again. Meaning 
you never will lose your salvation. Full acquittal, nobody can do anything. The devil has no power. Jesus has done everything necessary. He went to the cross, but he's also resurrected. And so therefore, he is defying anybody to do anything. Now you can imagine this scene here. Um, The ladies are walking up. The stones roll away and there's an angel seated there. Now, there were some guards that were present. If you remember in Matthew chapter 27, uh, the Jewish people that didn't love Jesus and and didn't want him to die and they talked the Roman government into doing it. And they said at the very end of chapter 27, you need to guard this tomb. You need to guard this tomb because all the disciples and Jesus said that he's going to come back from the life. And we don't want there to be any sneaky business. We don't want them sneaking in, taking the body. You should guard the tomb. And the Roman government's like, "Uh, we don't guard dead people. You, You can figure it out. He's dead. And so we don't, you can do it. And so the Jewish put their own guard, the Jewish kind of, they're like Jewish police. They're there guarding the tomb. Uh, and when the angel came, when the angel came, you can see what happens. And it's a, when he, he, he came in verse three, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They fell down. They were scared to death, these guards. Uh, we know that these are the, the Jewish, um, the Jewish, cops or the Jewish police, not the Roman soldiers, because uh, you can see over in verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and the chief told all that had taken place. When they assembled the elders and the council, they gave a sufficient sum of money. And they said that the disciples came while we were asleep in verse 13. Roman soldiers would never admit, would have admitted that they fell asleep because they knew that that means they would die. (laughs) And so these are not Roman soldiers. These are Jewish uh, police that are kind of policing this area. And so they're sitting there and you can just imagine this picture right here. Everybody's scared when when the angel, there's there's no occasion where people aren't scared when an angel shows up. But here you've got the Jewish police uh, laying on the ground, as it says in verse four, uh, for fear of guard, the the guards trembled and they became like dead men. I don't know if they fainted or what, but they're laying on the ground. The ladies that are there, they're scared, but they're not laying on the ground like the police. So they're just like, I guess we'll just step over you and come on in here. They're scared. And then the, <laughs> the, the angel says to them, do not be afraid. So they're scared, but they're not so scared that they're fainting on the ground. And it says, do not be afraid for I, I know what you, um, that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And so that's, there's, there's some things I want you to see in the text here about Resurrection Sunday. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. Um, number one, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. He, he says to them, I know why you're here. You don't need to be afraid. Uh, I've been sent here to give you a message. And here it is. Number one, Jesus who was crucified. So that's the first thing. Now, this is, this is instrumental in all of Christian theology that we know that Jesus was put on the cross for us. Jesus was put to death. He, he didn't get close to death. He didn't get to the point of death and stop. He went all the way and he died. And that's crucial for us to understand that when Jesus was put to death, that therefore means when he died, it's counted as our death. And therefore he shouldn't have been. And therefore his life is given to, given to us. He traded uh, his life for our death and we trade our death for Jesus's life. This is the great exchange. And 
We need to be sure Jesus isn't a victim here. There's not at one point where he claims victimhood. He is absolutely the initiator of every single thing that's happening. Every part of his life, all the way to the point of death, he's initiating. He's causing it to be about, even at, the, at his death, they didn't kill him after being on the cross three hours, or six hours, but for the second three hours, it's whenever he says, all right, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he even chooses the moment he dies. Everything is initiated by him, specifically the cross, because he loves us. Because he loves us. He's not here. So you, Jesus was crucified. That's the first thing we have to know. Now, it's crucial for all of Christian theology. And everything's built on the cross. But if it's just the cross, then we're in trouble. So the most crucial part of Christian theology, which we will see today here in, the, in number two. It's what everything is hinged on, um, as a matter of fact, of all of Christianity. You can see here. So let's read. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. We're, let's just read the first four words first. He is not here. Now you can imagine how the Marys, Joanna, how they hear this, right? They've come because they're fearful that somebody's been messing with Jesus's dead body. And the angel says, he's not here. They've got to be thinking, well, who did what? What happened? Somebody's, this is unbelievable. Why would someone do this? They're so sad, right? He's not here. And then the next four words are said, and the next four words that are said change everything for Mary and Mary and Salome and Joanna. As a matter of fact, the next four words also change everything for them. The next four words change everything for every single person ever to be born ever. Your life is massively changed by these next four words. My life is tremendously changed by these next four words. He is not here. Here it is. For he has risen. All right. Okay, we're going to try that again so that you understand, like, this is like probably the most four important words of the Bible. So it's okay, especially on Easter, if you said something like, Amen. Or wow, hallelujah, praise God. So here it is. There's probably not a bigger, more, most important four words in the Bible possibly. Here it is. He is not here for he has risen. Amen. Yes, yeah, see, that's it. That's it. It's unbelievable. So Christian theology, of course, hinges on the cross. But the resurrection is the second part of the good news that finishes the good news that without it, we're all in trouble. So the second thing is this. You can put it up. He has risen from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead, just as he promised. Even in the book of Matthew, Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 17, 22, Matthew 20, 18, Matthew 26, 1. He's promised, this is going to happen. I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. And, and Matthew 26, 1 is just his death. But the other three times he's told him, he's prophesied to him, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to come back to life. And so the resurrection is absolutely crucial. And we need to understand it's a bodily resurrection. It's not coming back to life floating around like a Scooby-Doo ghost, like a little thing that's floating around and somebody's shooting it with an overhead projector or something, right? It's a full bodily resurrection. If it isn't a bodily resurrection, then it means nothing. James Boyce says the only resurrection that counts for anything is a resurrection of the body. He's bodily resurrected. Therefore, all of us will also be bodily resurrected. For our body to be resurrected, his had to as well. J.D. Greer says it this way about the resurrection. Christ is risen. And if this didn't happen, then everything we believe is based on a lie. But if it did, then nothing can stay the same. Nothing stays the same for us. And he had to 
rise from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, he didn't fully atone for our sins because he didn't come back to life. Satan, sin, and death defeated him if he didn't rise from the dead. And you're still in your sins and I'm still in my sins. But because he defeats Satan, sin, and death by coming back to life, we're fully atoned for. The open tomb screams to you, full acquittal. You are now declared righteous. And so while we, you know, celebrate the cross and you get tattoos of it and you put it everywhere and as we wear it around our necks, we should have an open grave tattoo on our, on our bodies. We should have, like, instead of cross necklaces, open grave necklaces, because that's the most important part. The resurrection is the key part of Christian theology. We come together every Sunday because of the resurrection. We don't gather on Fridays about the cross. We gather on Sundays because of the resurrection. The resurrection means everything. Not only has Jesus died, he was crucified, Jesus has risen. Now, those are the two facts. Those are the two facts I want you to know. Now, because of that, uh, these next two things I want you to see are things that Jesus is telling us to do, uh, things that we can obey. So we can see here in um, the next text, it says, he is not here for he is risen. And he said, and he's inviting these ladies, the angel speaking to these ladies and inviting them in. Come see the place where he lay. This is, this is an invitation to all, Christians and non-Christians. Number three, you can go ahead and put it up. Jesus invites you to come and see. This means, don't miss this, Christians and non-Christians, come do the investigation. Jesus is open to every skeptic in the world. You don't think that people come back to life? Come do the investigation. He was here. He's not anymore. He's not anymore. There is no skeptic's words that are going to make Jesus uh, get nervous and be like, oh man, I don't want that guy to do the investigation. He's inviting every single non-Christian, every single uh, skeptic to come in and say, come and see. Come look at the place where he lay. Come and gather all the knowledge necessary to see that Jesus really did come to back from life. He, he was dead and he was resurrected. Just, just so we're clear, I mean, I say this almost every Easter, but I just want to make sure we understand. Um, Jesus's resurrection is not like anybody else's resurrection. You know, we see the stories of Lazarus coming back to life and Eutychus coming back to life and different people come back to life. We're like, well, I mean, this happens all over the Bible. Why is Jesus is so great? You know what happened to Eutychus 10 years later, 15 years later, or Lazarus? 15? He died again. He didn't just keep getting resurrected. Jesus, when he came back to life, is alive forever. He doesn't die again like all of us. He came back to life and he's alive forever, seated at the right hand of the Father. He died once for our sin and then he's resurrected and he lives forever after that. We as humans, even those that have been resurrected back to life, they just lived a short time after that and they died. They're not walking around right now. And so he's inviting us to come in and do the investigation. And when this, that's for unbelievers and skeptics, but also for believers, He's inviting all believers to come and remember this story of the gospel. Come and, and do this work. And when, he, when he's inviting everybody, he wants us to do these things. Like, and here's what he wants. He wants us to gain the knowledge, right? To, to understand the, the investigative work and see everything and realize that there's a veracity to this that you can believe. There's truthfulness to the story. But not just gather the information like some kind of computer or automaton and say, well, I got it. All right, I'm going to go. I think it's true. Once we do that, we should also have our emotions be affected by it. 
The fact that Jesus came back from the grave means there should be something going on in our hearts where we are moved. We have the appropriate emotional response. We feel that and know that it means for me, I'm forgiven. And so as we see the evidence given to us, we also are moved by it. Come and see. Come see that Jesus came down. Come and see that he condescended and lowered himself from from heaven to be with us. Come and see that Jesus experienced all the horror of sin for us when he died on the cross. See that outside of Jesus, without him doing this, we would have died. We would have been separated God from ever. And see that Jesus is not in the grave anymore. He's not there. He's risen from the dead. You can see that he conquered death completely. See that he also was raised and that one day if you trust in Jesus, you will also eventually be in heaven with Jesus forever. You, when you trust in him, are raised back to life spiritually. And come see what all this does for your heart and feel the appropriate response emotionally to all those true things. Let your heart be moved by it. See what beautiful emotions it causes. All these things are being invited. So when, you're, when Jesus invites you to come and see, it is to know the truth of the gospel, but it's also to be moved by it. And it's an invitation to everybody, not just skeptics and non-Christians, but to every Christian. If you've been a Christian 20 years, do it again. Remind yourself of these beautiful truths about Jesus. Come and see. Now, we can see here that the angel says, come and see the place where he lay. And then verse seven, he says something after that. Spurgeon says it this way. In this world, we cannot afford just to spend all of our time in contemplation. We can't afford to just spend all of our time in the come and see. However heavenly it may be, we also have to do something else after that. So when we come and see, you can see here, verse seven, then go quickly and tell. Now, I get in the context, the immediate context. This is the angel telling the women to go tell the disciples. And you can say, well, that's just, that's the, the, the command is go tell the disciples. Not, you know, I'm not one of them, so I'm off the hook. Jesus repeats the exact same thing to them in verse 10. Uh, when Jesus runs, he repeats the exact same information that the angel said to the ladies. He said, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there will see me. Now, I realize in immediate context, what we can see is they're saying, go tell about the resurrection. But he also repeats in the exact same chapter to everybody. In chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, and Jesus came, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That saying, go tell what you just saw, which is namely the resurrection. Yes, Jesus was crucified, but he also came back to life and he's been raised from the dead. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Number four, Jesus commands us to go and tell. Verse seven, you could also put verse 10 and verse 18 through 20. Verse 18 through 20. So we are commanded, therefore, since he is risen from the dead, to go tell people. He's, he's commanded us to go and tell. And he tells them specifically, first meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. And that's when we're going to start this this going and telling. We're going to come back to why Galilee is important in just a second. But he tells us, go tell, go tell. Now, um, if you're like me, and perhaps you are, you think to yourself, well, that's, uh, that's scary. I don't feel like I do a great job at it. I really believe I'm supposed to, but I do most of the time think about the good news of the gospel, and I'm appreciative of it. And then when it, the go tell part, I... Uh, 
I don't do it the way I want. I know that I'm supposed to, but I don't do it the way I want. This next thing should, should give you great, great encouragement. Um, for those of you that are like me that feel like, uh, I when I know I'm supposed to go tell, I feel like I'm all on my own and I don't know what to say and I get nervous and scared. Watch this. He says this. So uh, go tell quickly his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, here it is, the second part of verse seven. He is going before you to Galilee. So meet me in Galilee and I'm going before you. Not only that we see that in verse 7, but the end of the Great Commission in chapter 28, 18 through 20, he says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the invitation to come see and the command to go tell, both of those things are necessary. And the, the command to go tell can make, make us nervous and we feel like we're all our own. But this fifth thing is absolutely massively encouraging when we get nervous and scared and feel like we don't have anything to say or maybe we don't know what to say. Number five, here it is. Jesus is going to be, is going before us and is going to be with us. So this, this command to go tell is not meaning that you're all by yourself. Instead, it means that he's with you. It is, he is with you. So we don't have to feel nervous. We don't have to feel like, oh man, I don't know. Because here's the deal. There's not one square inch on the earth that Jesus isn't already there before we go, isn't already doing a work in those people's hearts. So when we go and we finally start talking, he's already there. He's already been before us and he's walking along with us and he's giving us the words to say. You're not at all out there on an island all by yourself. Not at all. I, uh, whenever I, ha I have a lot of kids, but whenever at one point, some of the seven, they didn't want me to say names, so I can't tell you who they are. But at some point, when some of the seven were at ages three and five, I uh, went and bought my three-year-old some new shoes. And I told him, I said, listen, these shoes are going to make you run faster than you ever have before. You, no one can run faster than you because these shoes have a magical power in them. There's something about these shoes when they made them that when you wear them, you just, your legs move faster and you run faster. Than any, I mean, I poured it on really hard. And he like... Wow, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to run faster than ever. I'm going to run faster than ever. And while I was telling this, unbeknownst to me, the five-year-old was sitting there listening to this and soaking it all in. And I didn't realize that. And so we went into the house and we're sitting there. And about 15 minutes later, I look outside my door and just zooming past me is my five-year-old, like run as hard as I can with my three-year-old shoes on. Like they heard all this and they're like, well, that must be true. I want to put these things on. I mean, squeeze their foot in there and just run as hard as I can back and forth in the yard, just trying out these new powerful magic shoes to see, well, if that's the case for my brother, then that's got to be the case for me. I'm going to wear these things and just run how, as fast as they are. It was pretty funny. I'm like, well, can I, what are you doing? And I'm just wearing these shoes. They're supposed to make me run faster. I needed to test it out. Um, here's the thing. Romans chapter 10, verse 15 tells us this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, there's no such thing, obviously, as magic, powerful shoes that make us run faster. But there is a such thing as powerful feet fitted with the gospel that bring good news that when you speak the gospel to someone, there is amazing power behind your words that changes hearts. So when you go and this, God's already all over every square inch and you go to this person, and you start saying these particular words, there's power behind that, that God is moving with the words you say and in the heart of the person that when you say it, because your feet are fitted with the gospel, as Romans 10, 15 says, 
He's, he's promising you, go tell, and that I'm with you and I'm before you. And that when you say these things, God's going to do amazing things. God is moving. So what do you need to do then this morning? If you are not a believer in Christ, perhaps you need to come forward and see. Perhaps you need to come and do, and he's inviting you, come do the investigation. Come see where he lay. The tomb is empty. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead. All this is true. Let yourself come in here and see and understand all these things and be moved by it emotionally. So maybe you need to do that. But also, on the flip side, maybe you need to go forth, then go and tell. You need to go forward and tell. There's people that, that need to know the gospel and uh, God's moving all over. God's moving in all the people's hearts around you that you want to hear the gospel already. And you have feet fitted with the gospel, powerful message in your mouth that when you tell them, God does something amazing. God does something amazing. Watch this. This is what happens. In verse seven, he said, go quickly and tell them. And what do they do? So they departed quickly. They ran. He told them to obey and run. So what do they do? They run. As a matter of fact, when they go and tell the disciples, uh, the book of John tells us that when Peter and John heard this, that they both took off and started running. Everybody's running on this Sunday morning. They run over to the grave and they see that it's op uh, open. As a matter of fact, if you read it, the funny thing is John, who wrote the book of John, he doesn't mention himself by name. He's like, I beat Peter in the foot race, by the way. And then, uh, but we saw that it was empty and then we ran. We ran back and forth. We, we wanted everybody to know. But so they departed quickly. So they obey exactly to the word and and, they, and it says, they departed from the tomb, I love this, with fear and great joy. And it's this, this strange mixture of emotions of fear. Oh my goodness, what's happening? What's about to happen? But great joy. He's alive. He's alive. And they ran to tell the disciples. And on the way it says, and behold, Jesus met them. Jesus met them and says, greetings to them. He goes with a traditional greeting, keeping it classy always, Jesus. He, meets, he says, greetings. And they came up, watch this, right? Whenever they know it's him. Now, when we, when we read this here, uh, this adds to the veracity of the Christian message, the, the truthfulness of the Christian message that Jesus was bodily resurrected. Jesus is greeting people on the road 40 hours after the worst beating that someone could take in a crucifixion. And he's resurrected. People that that happened to, if, the, if he was beat just to the point of death, they're not walking around saying greetings to people. They're laying in the deathbed recuperating for weeks. So the fact that he's walking around telling people greetings. Now, and this is him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us 500 eyewitnesses saw this. It's just one or two, you think, okay, maybe not. 500 people are all saying, who have nothing to gain from saying this because they know the Romans and the Jews want this guy dead and they're saying he's alive, then this means bad things for them if they're saying this. No, I mean, I, mean, I know what you're saying and I know what it means for me, but that guy's alive. He's walking around for the next 40 days. So this gives us great evidence that the, the resurrection's true and he's walking around and he's greeting people. Now, what do they do? We know from Isaiah 53 that he was beating so bad they couldn't even recognize his face anymore, and now they do. So this bodily resurrection is different. He was beaten to the point, like, who is that? They're walking around, and they look at him, and it's Jesus. What happens? I love this. Whenever they see, they came up to him, and they see that it's, he says greetings. They fall down. They grab his ankles, and they just worship him. 
All of it just came to their head. They're like, oh my goodness. Everything that he said is coming true. And the only thing they can say, the only thing they can do, the only thing they can do is to fall down and proskuneo worship, prostrate on their face, grabbing his ankles and worshiping him. What else can they do? They're realizing he is God and that he just, he just came back from the dead and they fall down and they worship him. And as they do that, he's not like, you know, let go of my ankles, that hurts. No, no, he's in a resurrected body. More evidence that this is true. He is in a resurrected body. They're taking hold of his body. He's not in pain and his body is different. And the fact that these women even think to do this by looking at him, there must have been a new attraction to Christ about him. He rose from the dead. Something even more sweet happening in their life and they realize this is the Christ. This is Jesus. And all they know, it's just instinctual. They see a resurrected Jesus. They fall at his feet and worship. Now, we've seen in the text what happened to them. This is 2,000 years ago, what happened in the event of the text. And the only thing that after all the evidence happened to them and they finally see him face to face, the only thing they know to do is worship. That's how God revealed himself to them 2,000 years ago. You're just like them. We're just like them. God reveals himself now through his word. And so in the word, we have just like the, the Marys and Joanna, we have engaged our minds and seen, and it's been revealed to us by the New Testament that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And so their appropriate response to this information, this news, was not just okay, but their hearts were moved by it. They had the appropriate emotional response of worship. We've engaged the revelation of God through the New Testament, just like the Marys. And so the only appropriate response for us is the exact same thing. The posture of our hearts should be fall down and worship this resurrected king. Wow. Wow. He came back from the life. And then he says in verse 10, he said to them, do not be afraid. Go, my brothers, to Galilee. Go to Galilee and they're going to see me. What's, what's the significance about Galilee? Why is he going to start basically the book of Acts, the building of the church in Galilee? Well, here it is. There's a couple themes that have permeated this entire book and it answers for us why Galilee. The first is Galilee is, continues the theme that now not just Jews, but Gentiles are now included in this good news message of being saved. Gentiles are invited in now into the family of God. And I'm thinking that means good news for every single person in this room. <laughs> not only that, but the Galileans were despised. So, He's telling, let's start this in Galilee. He's signaling to every one of us, not just the Gentiles are now included, not just the Israelites, but Gentiles, but anybody that's despised, anybody that's sinful, you can't be too despised and you can't be too sinful to receive the forgiveness of God. You can't out the grace of God. Doesn't matter who you are. Everybody can get in on this. Everybody can be forgiven. You're not too despised. You're not too sinful. Jesus is extending forgiveness to everybody and he's showing it by starting the public building of the church in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee and we're gonna invite everybody into this. Which means for us then, back to verse nine. Since we are believers in Christ, we've come and seen and we wanna go and tell and as we've engaged the text and we've seen, oh my goodness, Christ Jesus rose from the dead for he is risen he is risen indeed, then let's worship him. 
let's let the posture of our hearts be just like these women. Where we come forward, grab the ankles of Jesus, and worship him. For dying on the cross, absolutely. But defeating Satan, sin, and death, and coming back to life. And being our resurrected king. Let's pray.